0: Okie dokie, a podcast for those addicted to the study of scripture. Welcome fellow addicts, this is your safe place to OD. Samuel! Here I am. What are we going to talk about today?
1: Today we are talking about the Gospels. This is Gospels Part 116. Last week... We saw Jesus wrap up a collection of teachings, parables, illustrating the coming of the Son of Man in conquering King David mode, um, ushering in the Messianic era, um, and this aspect of separating the righteous from the unrighteous, the sheep from the goats, and listeners of these parables responded saying like, we don't understand, like, why are we considered, why would we be considered goats if we did all these things in your name? And um, Jesus responded by saying, you didn't model the hospitality that was shown in the very first patriarch of Abraham. Like, with believers of people of God's family and those who are not believers, like, whenever you see someone hungry or sick or oppressed, the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, uh, compassion, those things you did not do. Um, And that's the reason why there's a separation involved uh, when that day comes. Very convicting stuff. Um, And then we moved on uh, to another section of Scripture in the Gospels where it's still saying that Jesus was teaching in the temple on this last week of his life, and he's alluding again to being delivered up, to be crucified and put to death, and you have his enemies, chief priests and elders, who are still plotting this at the same time that Jesus is (laughs) alluding to his own death, which is kind of interesting. And while all this is happening, we have these two Gentile people, some Greeks, who are coming up wanting to talk to Jesus, and so two of his disciples go up to Jesus and tell him that, there's these people who are wanting to talk to him, seemingly, at the time that he's getting ready to teach. And he doesn't respond to them directly, but it's very interesting that we talked about how he included this uh, uh, reference to a Greek myth of Persephone about wheat. And how that has to do with the um, glorification of the Gentiles within the family of God. And it, it seemed like a really cool way that he's ministering to Non Jewish people, while his still his main focus was to the
0: house of Israel. Yeah, and and as we talked about, I mean, we don't we don't know that that's what he's doing, but we can definitely see how. Hey, you know what? This this really could be a thing that he's doing, sort of under the surface that we might not normally pick up on. I just think that's cool. Uh, yeah. Uh, so so he was talking. the The interesting thing about it is that he is talking about his glorification and 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 he's i think the people that were there listening i think they're picking up on the fact that you know this is he's talking about his death he's talking about martyrdom and so you know we're picking up in the middle of this conversation where i think he is continuing whoever it is that's his actual audience and listening He's trying to help them understand what he's talking about or why he's talking this way or whatever. So we're picking up. We're still in John, which we know has always been a difficult read, and we're in John chapter 12. We're going to look at verses 27 to 30. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come. To this hour, Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered This voice has come for your sake not mine Okay so what's going on in here as as we said Jesus he's already talking about his upcoming glorification and how you know I mean it's kind of ironic it's it's via the cross they're probably picking up on the, the cross imagery because, you know, they're in the middle of Roman rule and oppression, whatever, all that stuff. But it's so interesting that right here, he makes it known that his soul is troubled. So let's just stop for a moment. Get real. Think about it. And, and we've tried to emphasize this. We're not trying to diminish anything about the divinity of Christ or whatever, but we want to make sure we recognize This was a real human person walking around dealing with real human stuff. He's admitting that there is a very real part of him that dreads what's coming. He doesn't want to do it, but he acknowledges it's not even really worth talking about. In fact, it's the very reason that he came in the flesh. So what's he going to do? Ask God to change his mind? He can't ask that. He won't ask that. He desires God's will to be done over his own. He knows what is at stake. And though he he began speaking of his own glorification, notice how he wraps it up, Samuel, with "Father, glorify your name." And it's such a great picture because that's what truly matters to Jesus. It's not about him, his life, his whatever. He cares about God's glory, God's name. And you know, we should be more like that, right? I mean, is there any other way to be? Should, as a Christian, should we not be also worried about the Father's glory, the Father's name, the Father's everything?
1: I mean, that's a very Jewish concept, Kaddush Hashem,
0: glorify the name. Yeah, yeah, that's, that is what we are supposed to be and do. And just as a side note, okay, I kind of went on and on about, he won't ask that, he can't ask that, blah, blah, blah. Side note, a little later in the story, Jesus does, in fact, pray this very thing in the garden. Let this cup pass for me. But even then, like at that final moment, he still submits, And it's a divine reversal of what happened in the garden with Adam and Eve. It's totally awesome. But anyway, let's go on. Then, uh, let's see. Oh, well, Samuel, if you were there, crazy, unexpected thing happens. God's voice thunders, and the whole crowd hears it. Now, they hear it, they hear something, but apparently it wasn't perfectly clear. Uh, some of them confused it with thunder. Oh, did you hear that thunder? Right. And some of it, though, heard it more clearly, and so they were they got the idea. Oh, it must have been angels talking, in, instead of you know sort of imagining that it was God Himself. You can't blame them. I mean, the Hebrew term for this, going back to hey, where are we? First century Israel, bunch of Jews standing around, maybe some Greeks we talked about, right. But it's a bot coal. Pronunciation aside, I don't know. It's got to be close. But what it means is daughter of a voice. And so you can imagine how, okay, okay, if I've got a voice, that should be something that's clear, discernible, right? But what if it's a daughter of a voice? So it's, it's somehow removed in, in some sense. It's a little bit not perfectly clear and present or something, right? And so they were hearing something, but they didn't know what. It appears, however, that Jesus heard the voice very clearly. And so he clarifies for them what has just happened. God himself had spoken aloud for the crowd. Why? So that they could know that Jesus was sent by God, that what Jesus was about to do was orchestrated by God. And this is a continuing theme with Jesus. He, he, he never seems to want to put the spotlight on himself. He's always trying to, I don't know what, what the right word is, justify or rationalize or reconcile or something. He wants people to see, look, whatever it is you're seeing in me, you've got to understand God is the one who's at work here, and he's always pointing back. It's a, it's a very interesting part of his life story or his, his ministry story, whatever. So here we have the Son of Man, okay, Jesus. He was going to be glorified. That was the point, going to be up on this cross, the death, the resurrection, all of it. It's all true, but as important and wonderful as that is, from Jesus' perspective, the really important part was glorifying God's name. And and so there are many important parts, you know, of th- like this whole big grand story, but the ultimate purpose in everything regarding, you know, just the creation itself, everything in it, all the time that passes, everything that goes on, it's all about glorifying God, glorifying his name, which is another way of saying, you know, his reputation, maybe something like that. I want to show you this A little bit. Samuel, why don't you read for us. This is from Ezekiel. It's chapter 36, verse 23. And I will vindicate the holiness of
1: my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So you heard it in there. He wants to vindicate the holiness of his great name. He wants to vindicate just his holiness generally. And it isn't just that he wants to. It's God. This is what he will do. And, and just as a, another side note, I think is especially cool, immediately following what you see here, I will vindicate my the holiness, all that, Ezekiel goes on to include a number of elements from the new covenant, which we know comes from Jeremiah 31, 31 and following, which I think, I always forget the chapter. Is it in Hebrews 8 or something? Anyway, it's just kind of a repeat uh, a citation, if you will. Uh, so yeah, he's talking about vindicating his holiness, and ultimately that connects to the new covenant. I just think that's awesome. Now, Remember, Jesus speaking to a crowd. He's at the temple, whatever. So this is obviously awesome for Israel. It's awesome for the Jews, right? No doubt about any of those things. But if those Gentiles, those Greeks are still around, well, this is astonishing for them. This is, I mean, if if he is speaking to them, this is like super clearly all men can choose to lay down their life and follow him. God's fix is effective for all men. The way is opened for all men. What what does that way lead to? Eternal life. So this, and even some of the things that are going to follow, we're going to continue to read, they may be pivotal scriptures for that, just the very idea of Gentile inclusion, the way Paul preached it. But this was coming out of Jesus' mouth, right? So, I mean, if we ever get there and we start doing some letters from Paul or whatever, I mean, we're going to see all kinds of stuff about Gentile inclusion, how it worked, why it was so important, but you can see it even in this text when Jesus is speaking. Now, again, we don't know, are the Greeks still around or not, whatever, but if they are... Then it's like a slam dunk. If they aren't, well, it still is a very interesting and and good text for for sort of reinforcing Paul's ideas. So anyway, I just love that little bit, and that's all I've got to say about that.
1: I have some things to say slash ask you in Bring response, Paul. Yeah. Um. The first thing is just a statement. I think just just a reminder to all of us that this troubling nature that's being expressed in jesus's soul i personally argue and convicted by the really real potential for jesus to choose his own will over god's uh in, in these moments where he's feeling tested or tempted or struggling internally emotionally like if it it robs the validation of jesus's work through his humanity if all this talk of him being troubled and struggling is for nothing because he's just god uh, and he can do it anyway like we have to entertain the thought that he had possibilities to fail yet he leaned into the letter and the spirit of torah with the fullness of the spirit to carry out his mission
0: Yeah, I agree, Samuel, and I mean, I'll just share a little bit. It is so personally frustrating for me when people say anything like or to the effect of, oh yeah, but he was God. What victory is there in Jesus doing everything that he did in his life if it was all done through some, you know, just like God power? Where's the victory in that? It has to be through his humanity. That's what makes the story work. And so, yeah, it's just Mm -hmm. my way of agreeing with you, Samuel.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Um, Cool. The next two things are kind of questions. Um, The first one is in verse 30, when Jesus is answering, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. And then you brought up this detail about it's not 100% clear that the voice that was thundering uh was universally heard and understood so why is it that jesus would say that this voice was for the benefit of the people if in and of itself the voice wasn't clear it couldn't be heard like the same way that like during his baptism that seemed to be unequivocally like everyone knew what was being uttered from the heavens and there was no doubt among that. Uh, do you understand the question?
0: I, I do. And and uh, just real quick side note about remember about the baptism we had the question of who actually heard. When we talked about it way back then it was like, well wait, was this did Jesus alone hear that or did was that, you know, a couple of the the disciples or soon to be disciples that heard it? Was it the entire crowd? That was a question back then too. And here I totally get your question, you know how is it proof or whatever, but in a, it, there's kind of a way and I didn't mention it. But think about what happened back at Sinai. What was it that they heard when they were all standing at the base of the mountain? Um, didn't they hear thunder? Yeah, it was God's voice, but but to them it was like this crazy, scary thunder, and and you know whatever. We don't know how. Clearly, they were hearing back then. All the, I mean, they were scared. We know that part. And so, in a way, there's almost a connection. They heard thunder. Oh, well, what, what does that remind you of? Sinai. Someone else said it was angels, whatever. Uh, so, yeah, I, I totally get your question. And I, I don't really have an answer other than to say, look, uh, they heard something and it was undeniable. And so for them to make the connection, whoa, a voice just came out of nowhere, right, after Jesus claimed these things, for them to make the connection and say, oh, that just came, you know, quote-unquote, from the heavens, or whatever that might mean. I think that part was clear to them. God's words, like to, to actually say, Wait a second, what did he say? Could we get subtitles with that? Okay, maybe the words weren't clear, but the fact that it was a, a heavenly voice, I think that actually was clear to them. Mm. So does that maybe help a little bit?
1: Yeah, and while you were talking, I realized that my question probably is skewed to some extent because I am I went about that question with a tendency... Uh, reverting to a western mindset of wanting (laughs) clear black and white answers whereas the way that the text is written here even like what you referenced back in exodus it's much more eastern and jewish there's there's gray found within the text there's mystery and ambiguity for you to have to wrestle with so yeah um and that probably is god's intention
0: after all oh yeah yeah, and that's another thing. When we talk about the Scriptures, man. Okay, is there a out-and-out, black-and-white interpretation that is perfectly right, you know, like in God's eyes? Or whatever? Okay, yeah, probably. But the time, the culture, all of those things, when our Scriptures were written, this is, this is the way they communicated and learned. It was supposed to be given, it, not not so much like today in America, where it's like, dude, just give me the answer, bullet points, you know, just lay it out for me. They didn't do that. They wanted you to wrestle with it. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. Do you have more questions?
1: I have one more. I'm sorry right. I'm no, keeping go. us from moving on. Um, it's all right. At the very end, when you were talking about if those Gentiles were still around, and it being astonishing for them, it's a, it's showing them that... Um, God's fix is effective for all mankind. I guess I'm wondering how is it that the contents of this voice just saying that God's name has been glorified and it will be glorified again, how does that allude to Gentile inclusion? Or is it just the fact that Gentiles got to encounter this and experience this? And therefore, that means that they are a part of the story in and of itself. I'm I'm trying to connect the voice, what it was saying for that purpose, to how that ties to Gentile inclusion, like either in this moment or as a general statement.
0: Yeah. uh, Well, part of it is I'm going back to the previous section in John. Oh, okay. Where, where it, yep. it definitely is, is talking about all, right? For so, sure. I, yeah, I made the connection back there. And I, I'm going to be honest about another thing. It says, Father, glorify your name. And it says, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. Exactly what is he referring to right there, right? I mean, we could say, well, look, he hasn't been to the cross yet, so, okay, he's going to glorify it again. Or you could actually look at it and say, uh, well, no, not being hyper-time sensitive, we could be saying, no, you don't get it. I came to earth in flesh. I'm going to go through this cross thing. I have glorified my name, and I will glorify it again. That may refer to something at the end of the story. Or uh, th- there are so many possibilities there. <laughs> Nobody maybe noticed or maybe they did notice. I kind of glossed over it (laughs) because, I mean, you know, I try to read about it, try to see who's got the best ideas or whatever. That's just one of those where it's like, you know, nobody had anything compelling and there were lots of ideas, but none of them seemed to stand out in the crowd. It's just like, yeah, it could be, I don't know, could be any number of things. So, yeah, I think probably the best answer still, Samuel, is just to go, yeah, I was bringing in. Like the the totality of what he was saying. So go into the gotcha. earlier verses and stuff. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That that helps to yeah. see the through line with
0: it. Yeah. Anything else? Now I'm done. Okay. That's good. Those are good things. Uh let's see. Uh where are we? We're still continuing in John. Uh chapter twelve. We're gonna look at verses thirty-one to thirty-three. Now is the judgment of this world. Now Will the ruler of this world be cast out, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die.: I feel like Jesus just answered my last question there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, isn't that funny? It's like, yeah, I was sort of looking backwards, and lo and behold, it's also a little bit forward as well. but okay, so what do we got in here? Now, okay, when when he's saying now, this is first century Israel, and, and, you know, let's just say we're in the neighborhood of 30 A.D. or common era, however you want to talk about that. I don't want to, you know, put some uh, stake in the ground and have somebody be upset because I picked the wrong year of Jesus's death or whatever, but you get the idea. But that's what we're talking about. Now, at this very time, the time that they were living in, Jesus's life would stand as the ultimate judgment for all of mankind and against all of mankind. It's his life. On one hand, his life was like a measuring stick, and nothing changed. That that measuring stick has been the same forever and always. We see it in the Torah. We see it in Jesus's life. On the other hand, His life, and this is the—I hate to use the word magic, but you know what I'm saying. On the other hand, it's going to make up the difference when we fall short. His merit is going to be so abundant, so overflowing, it can actually make up for where we fall short. Now, the point is, it's this little slice of human history right here. And what would we say? 2,000 years ago. This is the part that's going to result in Satan's downfall. And Satan, just in the general sense, we're going to understand him as the ruler of this world. So it was then that his rule came to an end. And now, if you're listening, you're probably going, well, something doesn't seem right. Okay, that's because there is somewhat of a now and not yet quality to this too. And we've talked about this with a number of things, Samuel. The the biggest one, of course, is the kingdom. There's a now and not yet quality of the kingdom. Well, there is also a now and not yet quality to Satan's downfall. He is, in fact, finished, defeated. The victory is won. It's done. Stick a fork in it. But there is some of the unfolding of that story that remains, and it's just like, in some sense, it's like with Jesus' uh, authority or rule or whatever you want to call it. Samuel, why don't you read from Hebrews chapter 2, verse 8? At least the, the last part I highlighted there.
1: Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him.
0: Yeah. So, is the writer of Hebrews like an idiot? <laughs> he put everything in his control. Ah, oh, we don't see it yet, right? No, it's because there is reality and, and then somehow there's the idea of reality coming into its fullness. And so it, the same way that we see it in Jesus himself and his authority, everything being put in subjection to him, nothing outside his control— it's the same way with Satan. He is done, finished, kaput. Is there another word? Got any words, Samuel? Bamboozled. Oh. <laughs> that was not one I was expecting. <laughs> yeah. So he is, it's, it's bad for him. Now, when Jesus is speaking of his crucifixion, which I think in context, I think it's, it's very easy To make that connection, and I think it's right, the idea of when he is lifted up from the earth, he's speaking in a much more general sense, and we've already talked about it, all sort of, all people will be drawn to him. In fact, I mean, in the text, the word people isn't even there. It really just says, I will draw all unto myself. And... You know, I think that we could go places with that. We could talk about, you know, all of creation and how he's reconciling everything, redeeming everything, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, I, I don't think it's bad or somehow wrong that they inserted people into the English translation because, you know, all means all. So certainly people would be included in that. But I just want to go back again, we don't know if the Greeks, the Gentiles, really are still around, but if they are, well, this is especially interesting for them. Gentile inclusion is rarely found in Jesus's own words, but as we can see, it's definitely in there. And that's so important to see when you try to understand exactly what it is that Paul is really saying in all of his letters. So, Uh, I just, I don't know. I think that's a great point. Right here, it's clear as day. When I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. Awesome. And then John adds this little bit about Jesus. He was, in fact, referring to his own crucifixion when he said, when I'm lifted up from the earth. And, I mean, I am in no way going to be disagreeing with John. That just seems like that would make me stupid, right? (laughs) I'm not going to do that. But I just want to say... I don't think that it's unreasonable to also look at some other things. When you say Jesus lifted up from the earth, okay, crucifixion totally fits. I'm in. I'm sold. It's good. But could we also not look at, hmm, what about his resurrection? Well, that, that's another way of being lifted up from the earth, and it's a very important part of the story. What about his ascension? Oh, my goodness. That's... That's a really cool being lifted up from the earth, right? And and I, I think there are additional possibilities. I don't think that we can just ignore them. And the cross is obviously primary, certainly from John's perspective here, but it makes me wonder if these other options weren't also on Jesus's mind when he said it. I mean, they're a pivotal part of the story, that's certain. And, and the use of this phrase... I think in some way makes it very clear there's this connection to Isaiah's suffering servant back in well, most people look at Isaiah fifty three, whatever, starts a little bit early. Samuel, why don't you read from Isaiah 52, 13?
1: Behold, my servant shall act wisely, he shall be high and lifted up, and he shall be exhausted. <sighs> Ex- <laughs> <only> <laughs> exhausted.
0: <laughs> yes.
1: I feel like you're going to have to leave that in there. Um, Let's let's do that again. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted.
0: (laughs) Amen, brother. (laughs) Yeah, that was good. That's good. Uh, But you can see the point of this is uh, when he talks about being lifted up, there is a connection back to the suffering servant of Isaiah, and, and you know, did the crowd that was listening here, did they make that connection? Mm, I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Uh, we always, I think we lean toward, yeah, I mean, you know, this entire culture, this entire society, they would have been pretty, pretty adept at picking up on things like this. So I think it's definitely possible. But, you know, we don't know for sure. But anyway, that's all I got from this little bit, Samuel. You got anything? Um, just a... Uh...
1: Illustration or analogy that came in my mind when you were talking about this now and not yet aspect of the Satan being finished, defeated, but they're still unfolding yet to come. I picture, like, in a battle in war or something, um, an enemy gets like a fatal wound and um, they're not dead yet, they're kind of bleeding out. and in the time between they get the wound and then they finally bleed out and die, there's like this uh fury, uh yeah. aggression of like the enemy is trying to take out as many people as possible because he know that he knows that his demise is evident and near. Um and so in the same way it's like Jesus' is conquering of sin and death through his righteous life and resurrection. Like that was the critical blow to the Satan and until struck him on the head. Yeah, like until Jesus returns to like finish him off. Yeah. The Satan is like running roaming the earth trying to take down as many opponents as he can before he's finally finished.
0: Yeah. Well you and I both have some experience living in rural areas. And so we understand the idea of injured animals. Mm-hmm. And boy, sometimes there is nothing more dangerous than an injured animal. And, yeah. you know, what do we do? We want to help. And you see an animal, he's injured, you want to help. But man, you have got to be careful what you're doing, because you may end up <laughs> in worse <Bit>. shape. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah, that, I think that's a great image. So, yeah, that's good. And boy, he is, he's, uh, he's in a fury. That's good. Well, let's do the next little bit. John chapter 12, just one verse, verse 34. So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Okay. Now, again, we're going with the idea that, okay, there's probably some Jewish crowd here. I mean, that part seems pretty clear and obvious and expected. Maybe or maybe not, we've got these Gentiles, Greeks mixed in there, whatever, we don't know. And we don't know who's, when it says the crowd answered him, we don't know who he's talking about. Could it have been Jews? Could it have been Gentiles? I mean, it it could have been anybody. Just to say it out loud for the Gentiles— Well, they would have been somewhat familiar with Jewish law, and remember we talked about this when they were introduced, they were most likely what we would think of as God-fearers. They hadn't actually made the legal conversion to become Jews, but they hung out with them, they they learned with them, they they served God in whatever way they could without becoming Jewish. Uh, So it's reasonable that this question could have come from either group whatever, just saying that so, so that, you know, we don't get too locked into an image in our head. And then notice it also says, they've heard from the law. Well, the Torah itself, which is usually what is meant when you say the law, because underneath that, the word they're talking about is Torah, which uh, usually the first five books, but the Torah, the, the, that word Torah, gets overused a lot. Now, if you were to go to the first five books, there is no explicit statement along the lines of, the Christ remains forever. I mean, that's that's just not in there. But it wasn't out of the ordinary to use the word Torah to simply refer to the entirety of Scripture. So, uh, that could be going on here. There are some popular verses that are often pointed to as possible candidates for what's being talked about here. Now, your mileage may vary. We're not even going to bother reading them. But, but they these are verses that seem to allude to the idea of the Messiah or the Christ remaining forever. So you could go look at something like Psalm 89, 4. Psalm 89, 36 and 37. Psalm 110, verse 4. Isaiah 9, 7. Ezekiel 37, 25. Daniel 7, 14. All of these seem to either say it—some I mean, of them seem pretty explicit, and some of them seem maybe a little more like allusions or whatever, but they're there. But they want to know, and let's just be a little more general. If the Scriptures say that the Christ will remain forever, and and I think, it, I think that we could look back at this, that, that and say, look— that statement is accurate. It is true based on the whole of Scripture, okay? So if the Scriptures say that, how can you be saying that he will be lifted up, This Son of Man will be lifted up? And we know, in context, he's talking about on a cross to die. How, how can you say he's going to be a martyr? I mean, they're basically saying, look, we're assuming that this Son of Man that you keep calling yourself, we're assuming that that is Messiah. But now we're a little confused. Who then is this Son of Man? And it's not like they didn't believe that Jesus was the Son of Man. It's more like, which character is he in the story if he's not the Messiah? That kind of thing. Another way to say it might be, look, uh, the way you're talking here kind of sounds like the Son of Man must be someone other than the Messiah because the Messiah is supposed to remain forever. So just just to say, I mean, we only read one verse. There's not a whole lot more to talk about here. Let's just say this is a really good question. And if you want to go further and say that it's it's an objection of sorts, you know, it's a very reasonable objection. They just want to understand what's really going on. So before we go to the next bit, Sam, you got anything about that? Yeah, I know that you,
1: in the last section, you brought up the potential that this aspect of being lifted up could also allude to things like resurrection or ascension. Yeah. In this context, though, like, is it unequivocally like we cannot argue any other way that these people, when they're saying lifted up, they're talking about Crucifixion and death, like just because whenever we read it, what you said in the last section, my mind's like, oh, I wonder if they're meaning like, if if the the Torah says that Christ remains forever, how can you say that the Son of Man is going to like go away, like and he will never be with us again? Okay, yeah,
0: really, really good point. Uh, And and uh, by all means, (laughs) I don't want to try to put some sort of limitation on you know, how we're interpreting this or whatever. Uh, if we go back, though, to verse 33, from John's perspective, from what John is talking about here, he seems pretty certain or... or um, Explicit. Yeah, he he seems to want to focus on the specific event of his death. Verse 33, he said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So, in some sense, we kind of have to stick with John's context, John's thinking here. I, I mean, I think what you brought up is a fantastic question, and 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 very interesting way to be examining the text, thinking about the text. But uh, from from John's perspective, you know, we're gonna we're gonna hang on a little tighter, give a little more weight to the concept of no, nope, we're talking about the cross. Gotcha. So, it- that's interesting nonetheless. It's like oh yeah.
1: Jesus is in some ways giving this Jewish audience the answers to the test. Like he's he's telling them like this Messiah that you have thought that is going to come and reign and be with the nation forever like the this Messiah is about to be put to death and it's yeah. like they weren't even taking notes or i don't know that's just crazy that he's like i'm telling you what is about
0: to happen and they're like pass yeah <laughs> well and you know what what is this What is what is what's that phrase they use when you read something confirmation bias oh yeah it's that kind of thing and and man we are all so susceptible to that it's such a real and powerful thing we think we already know how a thing works we think we already understand and so when someone talks what do we hear we only hear the bits that make sense to what we already believe and anything that disagrees or would cause tension or conflict we just kind of magically ignore it right we do it when we're listening we do it when we're reading Uh, so i I think maybe some of that is going on here Mm -hmm. as well You know, that's what you're talking about. I don't know. I I just, I am uh, like you, you read it and there's some part of you that just goes, man, how can they not be picking up on this stuff? And at the same time, you just got to know if it was you and you were there, (laughs) you're probably have been just like them. So Mm -hmm. yeah, it's a crazy thing. It is a crazy thing. All right. Any more? Nope. All right. Next bit. John 12, verses 35 and 36. So, Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light... Believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Okay, so remember, they were like, how can you say, you know, he's not going to remain? And He doesn't really seem to be answering that directly, but it's more like, Hey, I've already told you it's fact, it's true. Here's how you need to deal with that truth. You know what I'm saying? Uh, But anyway, we've seen Jesus talk like this before, and and we've already covered a lot of this. It was in John chapter 8, verse 12, John chapter 9, verses 4 and 5, John chapter 11, verse 9. Do you ever notice that Jesus talks in much stranger terms, language, and everything when John's telling the story? (laughs) (laughs) So, anyway, now, now, Again, you you might even think he didn't really answer their question, and okay, there's something to that, but but he kind of does, and I know it's not quite as satisfying or direct as they would have liked or we might like, but he is at least giving them good direction and instruction. What do you do with this truth, assuming that you just accept it because, well, it's truth? So... You got this thing. Jesus is the Son of Man. That was his favorite title for himself. It's the connection back to Daniel 7, all of that. Okay, he is Messiah. He is Christ. That was what everybody else wanted to call him. Doesn't make either one of them any more right or wrong, but it's how they're connecting to the story. So Jesus, he's Son of Man, he's Messiah. He is light. That's what Jesus is getting at here. And it's the same light— that was at the beginning. What did God say, Samuel, to bring the light into, you know, this this uh, story? Uh, let there be light. Yes, that light. And is that the sun or the moon or the stars? It is not. No, those things came later. It's the same light. Ha ha. And now here's where you start to get the connection. It's the same light that the entire nation of Israel was supposed to be. For all of the other nations. Oh. In a sense, Jesus, when he comes down, when he is able to live as not only the perfect Israelite, the perfect Jew, he's also the perfect human. In a sense, he is Israel. And you could even say, in a sense, he is humanity, in that he, res- he represents all in himself, his perfect self. Now, he was not just that he, you know, is Israel. He's also an example for Israel here in this story, and then, you know, sort of carrying it on out, same example for us. They should imitate him while they still can. Now, that doesn't really apply to us because he's not like physically present in the same way that he was in the first century. They had him there. They should have been taking advantage of this time, imitating him while they could. They they should look, like really look and 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 see him and understand him while he is present, while the light is present. And why is he using this light analogy? Well, light makes things clear, it makes things visible. He was making The path or the way. In a sense, it's the way back into the garden that was shut off. He's making that clear and visible by his life. If they were to remain in the dark, well, they're just going to be blind travelers in this world. They needed to cling to the light while they still could, they needed to believe in it and. It's one of the things that we've said, I don't know, a hundred times before, that believing in is, it's twofold. It's, it's faith, and it's also faithfulness. So it's, it is what you think or believe or understand or choose or whatever you want to call that, but it's also how you respond to it, what you do. And then, you know, why is that? Well, so that they could become sons of, of that light, they would be offspring of that light, and and the light represents uh, what are some words we could use? Samuel, righteousness or purity, or you know that kind of stuff. So here's the thing: He's talking about, hey, I am the light. While I'm still here, this is what you should do with this truth that I'm going away. But we can also, especially two thousand years later, looking back, trying to put this whole story together. We understand that this does in some way, of course, continue even after he's gone. We know that. We we see it in the scriptures, we see it in discipleship, we see it in so many different things, just the the, the way the Holy Spirit might operate within us, etc. But you gotta admit, it was quite an advantage to have him literally in your midst. So again, he's not. Not directly answering the question, but he's he's telling you what to do with this truth. And in fact, Jesus, he kind of treats it like a mic drop moment. He finishes his speaking, and he just leaves. He hides himself from them, you know, most of everyone, maybe not his apostles or whatever. And And this is an interesting point, because again, we've got four different Gospels, and you know how this all ties together. From from John's perspective, most see this moment as the official end of his public teaching. Now that gets a little weird. You're going to see in as we continue through the podcast, John. I I, I don't even know what to do with it. I don't know if he messes up in his writing or things got moved around or whatever, but. Most see this, if we're going to say that Jesus, you know, he really does say these things, depart, and hides himself, okay, that's the end of his public teaching ministry. And so chronologically, if we're going to try to make connections to, you know, other parts of Scripture, you would look to Matthew chapter 23, verse 39. That's when he finishes up his seven woes and and if you went back to read that you'd sort of see a like okay that kind of looks like the end there or you might go to Luke and look at chapter 13 verse 35 and, and now it's the exact same kind of words but in Luke's case the the placement is a little odd it's so funny because Luke is supposed to be the 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 one account that is more ordered than even the others and yet there's places in Luke that feel like, wow, these these are like wildly out of place. You know, what's going on here? So anyway, we're just kind of looking at this going, yeah, we think this kind of represents uh, the end of his public ministry. And uh, for what it's worth, we were talking about this being Wednesday. Hmm. And, you know, that's going to get a little fuzzy as we go too. But anyway, what you got, Samuel? Um, I just think it's kind of
1: interesting that this talk of light with Jesus if this is his last kind of teaching or words of wisdom before all these other things take place that's leading to his death and you alluded to this the call to continue to imitate him while they still can in some ways it's like He has more, Jesus has more to show and teach whoever has been following, watching him outside of his words and like from now until the end, it's going to be mostly his actions. And what I mean by that is that he is about to showcase this lesson of self-sacrifice rather than self-preservation yeah. um, and
0: obedience uh, yeah yeah
1: and it's um and it, it makes me think of what's coming up whenever he gets arrested and he's on trial and everything and you have all of these people who are you know shouting things at him like you know if you said you were the messiah or the son of man like save yourself and it makes me think like a lot of these people did see miraculous things that he did things that should showcase him having power like anything from turning water to wine or healing incredibly sick and crippled people etc and so in some ways some people could be doubters and say like oh that was all just a fluke but in other cases people I, i just have to think some people were thinking like wait a minute i saw this guy do miraculous things and here he is in the hands of the romans and he's saying nothing and he's doing nothing right now it's almost as if he's doing that on purpose like he's he's choosing this for himself instead yeah. of being able to say the word or do the thing to be able to save his skin so i don't know i just those things are at mind for me whenever yeah. i think about the imitation that still is at play between now and when he takes his last last breath on that
0: cross. Yeah, and it, that's so good, Samuel, because you've brought up... I mean, this is a really weird thing to say. Hey, man, the light's with you. You need to imitate the light while it's still here, all that kind of stuff. And then he immediately hides himself away, and he's dead two days later. <laughs> uh, uh, why did you tell me that now? That seems like late or something, right? But then... Your point is great that there was still something to see and learn and imitate, and yeah, so so good, and then I think we could also you know again when it says crowds or what you don't really you just don't know who's actually around who's who he's talking to, focusing on what you know who are his eyes looking at, all those kinds of things in some sense they there there were probably some number of people there, maybe many people there, who had already seen and experienced a lot, and so they had that, you know, bag to go back to. Oh, we saw Jesus do this, we saw Jesus say this, right? So so there's maybe a little bit of, yeah, you got to experience it, and even though I may be disappearing in the next day or two, so to speak, I want to say it that way, uh, you still have a lot that that you can can work with, you know. So I don't know. It's an interesting thing, and of course, we just take it one step further. We can do a similar thing by simply looking back at the recorded accounts that we see in the Gospels, and you know, he, uh, is Jesus like physically here as a human person? No, but we can go back and and read about and and in, and in that disconnected way experience him being present and imitate and you know all that kind of stuff so yeah i don't know it's a good point sam got more nope oh well i'm looking at the next section i'm looking at the clock it all says one thing to me samuel what's that we're done before we're done though uh <laughs> um
1: the t- the the day of this recording is december the 18th of 2022 and I know our podcast is on lots of different platforms besides Apple, but currently we have 20 ratings and eight reviews on Apple Podcasts, and nothing would make us happier that between now and the end of 2022, could we we get that up to like 25 ratings and like (laughs) 10 or 15 reviews? Like... Let, let's push that algorithm
0: a little bit so that we can yeah. get this
1: content into lots of hands who are craving it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's kind of funny. Just recently, I've heard a number of people going, hey, guess what I just started listening to? Or, hey, I checked out your podcast. Or, You know what I mean? So there's been a weird sort of influx, influx recently. And so, yeah, come on, let's get some people spreading the word. It's good stuff. Now I'm done. <laughs> All right. Then let's officially be
1: done. Done. Okie dokie. Thanks for listening to the Okie Dokie Most Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Be sure to leave us a rating and a review to let us know how this content is impacting your life. You can find out more information about the podcast at www.okidokimoscom And if you'd like to get a hold of us, please send us an email at okidokimos at gmail.com and until next time we pray that you will do your best to present yourself to God as one approved a worker who has no need to be ashamed rightly handling the word of truth we'll talk to you again soon